Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Laura here. Quick request before we get into today's episode. I'm doing a TEDx talk soon and so need a short break to give myself enough prep time. But instead of playing a rerun, I'm going to do a listener questions episode. So send me your questions. You can email them in written form to laurashinpodcast at gmail.com. L-A-U-R-A-S-H-I-N podcast at gmail.com. If you do that, start your subject line with listener Q. Or, and frankly, this is more fun, you can record an audio file, which is super easy to do on your smartphone nowadays. You can also email that to laurashinpodcast at gmail.com. And if you choose to send in an audio file, please state your name in the recording. And again, make the subject line in your email begin with listener Q. The deadline to send me your questions is by end of day Tuesday, October 9th. Again, send your written questions and your audio files to Laura Shin Podcast, L A U R A S H I N Podcast at gmail.com with a subject line that begins listener Q. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin. If you've been enjoying Unchained, pop into iTunes to give us a top rating or review. That helps other listeners find the show. Want to connect up to the Bitcoin network but are confused by the multitude of choices and intimidated by the complexity of getting started? Come to blockdaemon.com slash unchained and launch a Bitcoin node in mere moments. We'll do all the heavy lifting for you. Looking to advertise your product on Unchained and Unconfirmed? Reach out to Raylene at laurashinpodcast at gmail.com to find out about sponsorship opportunities. Again, that's Laura Shin, L-A-U-R-A-S-H-I-N, podcast at gmail.com to find out about sponsorship opportunities on Unchained and Unconfirmed. My guest today is Antonio Giuliano, founder of DYDX. Welcome, Antonio. Thanks for having me, Laura. Before we start, I just have a funny story to tell, which is that DYDX is definitely one of the more challenging projects I've had to wrap my head around. And preparing for this interview was giving me flashbacks to when I was a senior in high school and I took calculus BC. (laughs) And there's like two kinds of calculus you can take as a senior, and that's the more difficult one. And math was always like more challenging for me than other subjects. But I I don't know. I just thought like, oh, I can do it. But I kind of had like too much fun that summer. And it took me a little while to get into the school spirit when, when, you know, the fall semester rolled around. So I literally got a D the first quarter. (laughs) And (laughs) at the end of it, I went to the teacher and I was like, how, you know, can I change this? Like, is there something I could do for extra credit? And he said, yeah. Oh, well, if you do extra credit, I can give you a D plus. And I literally started like tearing up and I was like, oh my God, like, cause I, I really wanted to go to Stanford. I was like, I'm never going to get to Stanford now. And what ended up happening is he agreed to give me a P for pass. And then I got an A minus the second quarter and we averaged the grades with my final exam. And eventually I ended up with a B minus for the semester. So it was all okay. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad. Hopefully, yeah, the name doesn't give uh, too many bad re- memories for too many people. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like going through all this stuff yesterday, I was just like, okay, it's not like I can't get it, but it's taking me so long. And I had done that pre-interview with you before mm-hmm. and, you know, I wanted to re-listen to it to make sure I understood. And I had to listen to it again on 0.6 or 0.7 speed because okay. you were speaking <laughs> so quickly and I could so barely understand what you were saying. So all of this preamble is just to say, go slowly, assume you're talking to fifth grader because, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm only barely yeah, grasping this. Will do. So, okay. So let's just start with the simplest thing. What is DYDX? So DYDX is a protocol for decentralized derivatives um, and margin trading. 
Um, basically, the first thing that we're doing is making a protocol for margin trading that lets users go short or get leverage on any, for now, Ethereum-based cryptocurrency. Our first product that we're launching soon is called Margin Tokens. Um, and with Margin Tokens, you can basically represent a short or leveraged position as a regular fungible ERC-20 token. This is cool because we can basically create the short Ethereum token, say. Um, and now if you want to, say, go short on Ethereum, all you have to do is buy the short Ethereum token, which you can do on our product Expo or on any other exchange that lists the short or leveraged tokens. We, well, we think of DYDX not just as a margin trading protocol, but as a protocol for all types of financial derivatives. We just decided to start with the margin trading because we think that that's the most applicable thing to build in the market right now. And why did you decide to tackle derivatives? And, and just for listeners who aren't super familiar with the financial services system, uh, which in a way I'm also not, you know, I think also the vast majority of my listeners are or at least the plurality come from tech. So what are derivatives and why did you decide to tackle this area of finance? So financial derivatives are financial products that are built on top of on other underlying assets. Um, so they vary a lot in complexity, um, things like options or swaps. Um, and they're primarily used by bigger institutions or more sophisticated traders um, to get met better risk management or increase speculation on their profile on their uh, portfolios. So that's kind of what financial derivatives are. We're excited about building them because they oftentimes bring a lot of maturity to the underlying markets. The way that most people are trading cryptocurrencies right now is basically just to buy and hold them. But that's not at all the way that people trade traditional assets. They often use financial derivatives to kind of hedge their bets or get different types of speculation or risk management that they couldn't otherwise get. So that's kind of what financial derivatives are. Um, in response to your question about why I decided to tackle the challenge of building financial derivatives on the blockchain. So I really wanted to build something that was actually useful in the market right now. And the way that most people are using cryptocurrencies is for speculation. But like I was saying, a lot of these more advanced trading tools that traders are accustomed to don't exist in the market yet. So we thought that, that this would be an interesting thing to build and something that would actually be useful in the market right now. Well, actually, so one thing that was interesting is in the white paper, you said that derivatives will open up new avenues for speculation. And yet here you're kind of saying like, oh, we want to do something that's different. So how do you square those two statements? Yeah, so derivatives can be used for a lot of different things. Um, kind of the two main use cases I mentioned are either hedging, um, something that's really good to do in kind of bear markets. So a lot of, of these crypto hedge funds could use financial derivatives to basically hedge their long bets and protect their downside, which is something that probably a lot of people should have done more of um, in the past six months or so. Um, the other application that they're widely used for is increased speculation or getting leverage. Um, you can also kind of bet on more interesting things like volatility um, that you couldn't really bet on with basically just buying and holding the underlying assets. Oh, interesting. So if this protocol had been available as of like January 1st or something, then we might see a lot of people making profits off of this bear market. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, our first product, uh, Short Ethereum, which is the Short Ethereum token, would basically be a really simple way for users to bet on kind of Ethereum going down. Um, so a lot of people could have used that to basically actually profit in the bear market of the past six months. Interesting. I recently had like a maximalist on the show and um, it was toward Demeester. So maybe I'll let him know <laughs> and see if he wants to <laughs> put his money where his mouth is. Um, well, actually, that, that brings me to this other question because I am curious. So right now, if I wanted to short Ether, how could I do that? So there are a couple different ways you could short Ether right now. And they're pretty much all on centralized exchanges. So probably the easiest way to do it if you're a big traditional institution is to buy futures um, on some of these centralized exchanges that offer futures products, like I think CBOE and a few of the other ones do. 
Um, so a lot of the bigger institutions are kind of using those mechanisms to get short exposure. There are also a number of centralized exchanges that do offer margin trading, such as Poloniex um, or, or BitMEX or those types of things, where you could basically go to uh, take a short position on any cryptocurrency that they offer. And kind of the final way that we've seen people doing it in, in a bigger way are through over-the-counter desks. So there are certain OTC desks that do provide lending liquidity that you can use to uh, short assets, like uh, Genesis Trading, for example, I believe offers uh, OTC lending. Um, so those are kind of the three predominant ways we see uh, institutions getting short exposure right now. Um, but there aren't really any products that are super available for more individual traders to kind of get short exposure um, on a number of these assets in a really simple way. And if they're doing it with CYDX, then they can maintain control of their private keys, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big selling point of kind of our protocol and is similar to a lot of other protocols such as Dharma or Zero X or, or similar. Yeah, I've had both of them on the show recently. Um, in case people haven't noticed, I'm trying to do a little series on this sort of world of decentralized finance that I am watching being built, which is basically incredibly fascinating to me. But so before we get into how DYDX works, I actually also want to bring up your background. How did you get into crypto? So I got into crypto in 2015 when I started working as a software engineer at Coinbase. Um, I was much different than most other people that worked at Coinbase in that I didn't know anything about Bitcoin before that. Um, oh, wow. but Yeah. So I was at a Princeton CS at the time, um, and I was just graduating, and Coinbase was one of the like 20 places I applied to as a senior. I kind of only applied because uh, Fred Wilson actually came and, and gave a talk and mentioned Coinbase um, in one of the classes I was taking at Princeton. But one of the unique things about Coinbase's uh, hiring process is that they did a work trial. So basically during my senior year, they flew me out to San Francisco um, and I worked with them for a week. And at the time, I still didn't really know anything about Bitcoin, but everybody was just so excited about it. And all there are so many amazing people at Coinbase at the time. So I could just see that I wanted to work with these amazing people. And they were all super excited about this Bitcoin thing. So I just decided to, to give it a try and, and jumped on board full time at Coinbase after graduating. And then once you're at Coinbase, it's pretty much impossible not to get excited about Bitcoin because everybody just talks about it all the time. You get to sit down and have lunch with amazing people like Fred or Brian or Olaf, um, who just are far and away like the, the best thinkers in the space. So just kind of having that exposure to the really best people in the space really got me excited about it. And then after I, I worked at Coinbase for a while, I knew that I wanted to build things in this space in the future, which is kind of what led me to DYDX. Yeah. And so fill in that part of the story. So I actually left Coinbase to work at Uber briefly. So I was at Uber for like six months after uh, working at Coinbase. And I knew even when I went to Uber, I knew that I wanted to still work in the cryptocurrency space and that I wanted to start a startup. But I kind of my plan was to work at Uber for like a year, make some more money, kind of give me some time to work on my personal projects. Um, but I only lasted for six months at Uber um, before leaving to start my own thing. And the first thing that I started was not DYDX. It was a search engine for decentralized apps that I called Waypoint. So I built this whole thing out and uh, basically was trying to be like a Google for decentralized apps. Um, and I was working on it full time for like three or four months and literally nobody was using it. Um, and that kind of uh, led me to my realization that I really wanted to build something that's actually applicable in the market right now. And the main problem with the search engine thing was that just nobody is building any decentralized apps or especially at the time, like a little over a year ago. Um, so there was just nothing to search for and it was too early in the market. Um, so I kind of spent a weekend sitting down and thinking about the types of problems that I could solve with a decentralized protocol that would actually be useful in the market. Um, and that kind of led me to financial derivatives. I didn't really know anything about derivatives at the time, but I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of good friends who had gone on from Princeton to work in the finance world. Um, and, and quickly came up to speed on kind of what derivatives are. Kind of the hard part about derivatives is not understanding how they work, but more understanding how people trade them 
like how an option works is kind of fundamentally fairly simple, but how people trade options is very, very complicated. So I definitely did not understand all of that um, at the time. And that's still something I'm working on. Um, but I did kind of come up with basically a protocol that supports fully collateralized options, um, which was the, the first thing that I came up with. And then soon after that came up with the beginnings of the margin trading protocol, which is what we decided to start with and are launching now. Um, so that's kind of what led me to building uh, DYDX um, in, in the derivatives protocol. I want to, yeah, I want to get into that a little bit more later about how what's more complicated is the way people trade them. Because mm -hmm. I would imagine maybe part of the complication comes from the complexity of the existing financial services system itself. But so before we get there, why don't we just go into how DYDX works? You started by talking about the margin tokens, but I actually want you to walk me through how a short sell works in DYDX on the back end, you know, not through the token, but just like step by step. And for listeners who don't have, you know, the background on how a short sell works, traditionally, it would be you borrow the asset that you want to short, you immediately sell it. So you kind of know how much, you know, your, your sale price is. And then after the price of that asset falls, at that point, you buy the shares at obviously this lower price and return them back to the lender. So in DYDX, it's like a little bit different. Uh, so why don't you walk me through how that goes? Yeah, that's a good walkthrough of how normal short sales work. Um, and it's actually quite similar in DYDX. So at the beginning of the show, I did mention are uh, short and leverage tokens, which are the simplest way to get short or leveraged exposure on DYDX. But actually backing every short or leverage token is a short or leveraged position. So for a sh taking a short position on DYDX, it basically works the same way as a normal short sell in that you have to borrow the asset that you want to short and then sell it to uh, a trader on the spot market and then lock up some collateral in the position. And then that kind of collateral basically just sits there for the duration of the trade. And then you use, whenever you want to close your position, you use some of that collateral to buy back the tokens that you borrowed from the lender. And then you get kind of whatever's left. So let's just kind of walk through an example of how shorting Ethereum on DYDX works. So if you want to short Ethereum, you need to borrow Ethereum from somebody. DYDX has its own kind of lending protocol built in. Um, and basically, it, it kind of works in a couple ways. Uh, lenders can basically offer to make loans for Ethereum by signing an off-chain message. Um, and this message contains details such as how much they want to lend, the interest fee, like the maximum duration, etc. Um, and then these loans are held on a relayer which is very similar to the concept of a relayer used by many other protocols, again, such as 0x or Dharma. Um, and then, so now if you want to short Ethereum, you can go to the relayer and find an offer to lend you Ethereum. Similarly, you need somebody to buy Ethereum from you on the other side. Um, you also need something to short Ethereum against. Uh, so say we're shorting Ethereum against the DAI stablecoin, which is MakerDAO's stablecoin. Um, then you basically need an offer to buy Ethereum and sell DAI, which you can use that uh, buy order to basically sell the Ethereum that you just borrowed from the lender. DYDX plugs into a number of different decentralized exchanges, um, the primary one being 0x. So normally people will use a 0x order to that's basically offering to buy Ethereum and sell DAI in this case. Um, so you, the trader, just want to short Ethereum. So you go to the relayer and the relayer finds you this loan offering offering to lend you Ethereum. And similarly, this buy order offering to buy Ethereum and sell DAI. Then you take those two things and send them in a transaction to our smart contract. And our smart contract does a few things. It verifies the signature on the loan offering to make sure it's legitimate. Um, and if it is legitimate, then it basically pulls Ethereum from the lender. Um, so now our smart contract has some Ethereum. Then it sells it to the external buyer um, and gets some DAI from that trade. 
Um, an interesting thing about Zero uh, X and other decentralized exchanges is normally they're used for just peer-to-peer trading. Like I'm a human and I trade with some other human. But a really interesting property of them is that smart contracts can also trade with them. And that's kind of what we utilize to enable us to enable our smart contract to basically trade with an external zero X maker. Um, so at this point, our smart contract only has DAI. Um, it basically sold all the Ethereum that it got from the borrower. Um, and then it takes some margin deposit from the short seller proportional to in the, the amount of margin deposit is basically specified on the loan offering that was offered by the lender. So now it has a die equal to whatever it got from the cell plus your margin deposit. Um, let's just say kind of putting concrete numbers to this, um, you borrowed like one Ethereum and then you sold that Ethereum for a hundred die and then you put up five or sorry, 50 die as margin deposit. So after all of this stuff has happened, then the smart contract ends up with 150 die locked in the position. It's also important to note that all of this stuff that I just talked about happens atomically in one transaction on Ethereum. A really interesting property of Ethereum that we heavily make use of is that smart contracts can call other smart contracts within uh, one transaction. So basically, we use that to, to kind of do the borrowing and the selling and the locking up of collateral all in one Ethereum transaction. So it makes the process really simple. Wait, um, so, and now so just, kind of, just to mm-hmm. clarify, so this part that you, um, where you described it all happens atomically, is that on with the margin token? Uh, so this doesn't have anything to do with the margin token quite yet, oh, okay. um, but basically has to do with just how Ethereum transactions work. Um, and okay. it's really nice property because say, for example, we do uh, the borrow and then for some reason the selling fails, it'll kind of roll back the whole thing. That's that's basically what atomicity oh. means. Um, so kind of all of it will happen or none of it will happen. You can't get oh, into like a weird state where you kind of have borrowed some of the funds but haven't actually sold them or, or things like that. Okay. So keep going. Okay. So now the state of the world is that you... Um, there's a position and you are the short seller um, and you've shorted Ethereum. On the other side, there's a lender that you owe Ethereum back to. And there is 150 die locked up in the position. Um, so we use continuously compounding interest to basically determine the amount of interest that's owed to the lender at any given time. So you, the short seller, can decide to come back and close your position whenever you want to. So say you wait like a week, um, and now the price of Ethereum has dropped to 50 DAI, and you owe a little bit of interest. So say you owe uh, like 55 DAI back to the lender. Now what you can do is, is basically you need to find somebody that's willing to sell uh, this time Ethereum for some DAI. Um, and you'll go to a relayer to, to find somebody to do this. And normally this will be through a 0x order. But I do want to emphasize that our protocol will work with a bunch of different decentralized exchanges, not just 0x. Um, so you go to a relayer and find, say, a, a 0x order that's offering to sell back the uh, Ethereum that you owe to the lender for, say, 55 DAI. Um, so you send that to the smart contract. And the smart contract trades some of its own die that it has locked up in collateral um, for that Ethereum. So it trades like 55 out of the 150 die that it has locked up in collateral um, and buys back the Ethereum that it owes to the lender, uh, gives the Ethereum back to the lender. So the lender is happy. Um, they, they basically earned interest on their Ether and were paid back. And then you, the short seller, get whatever is left. And in this example, you actually made money because the price of Ethereum goes down um, and you made basically the amount of collateral, which is 150 minus what it costs you to buy back the tokens that are owed to the lender, which is 55. So in this example, you made 95 or sorry, you get 95 die um, and you initially put up a margin deposit of 50 die. So in this example, you make a profit of 45 die on the trade. Interesting. So a couple of things. So first of all, I spoke with, shoot, I th- I'm pretty sure it was, um, 
I think it was Robert Leshner of Compound, and they use something called collateral ratio to determine how much collateral you put up. Mm -hmm. Is that just determined on an individual one-to-one basis in DYDX? Yes, it is determined on an individual one-on-one basis. Um, So kind of a lot of the parameters for loans are determined by lenders in DYDX. DYDX is a very kind of open and general protocol. So we let lenders specify pretty much any detail about the trade from kind of the maximum duration of the trade to even the interest rate that they're offering and and other things like that. So, So it's more just specified by the lender in our protocol. Whereas for some other protocols like like Compound, for example, is what you were mentioning, a lot of the parameters are kind of specified globally on their smart contracts. And the other thing I was wondering is in your example, you used Ether and DAI. And DAI obviously is a stable coin that's currently pegged to the price of $1. But what if, let's say, I want a short rep with Ether, and both of those prices are fluctuating in relationship to the dollar, then how does the collateral work in, in, in all the other aspects? Yeah, absolutely. So you can use any pair, um, basically, for kind of what you borrow and what you put up as collateral. So you could absolutely use DYDX to basically short rep for Ethereum. And we kind of anticipate that that will be a, a really big use case. Basically, that's basically just taking a bet that you think that, say, rep or, or whatever other token, it doesn't have to be rep, um, is overvalued um, as compared to Ether. And basically using DYDX to short that um, as compared to Ether would be a really good way to, to kind of take that bet without actually even exposing yourself to the overall risk of cryptocurrency. So even if, say, Ethereum went down by a ton, but RepBot went down even more. So you were actually right on your bet in that Ethereum kind of went up um, as compared to Rep. You'd still make money on that trade. So there are a lot of use cases for margin trading where it does make sense to actually use as collateral something that's not just backed to the dollar or some other fiat currency like that. And it would make a lot of sense to to kind of use underlying cryptocurrencies such as Ethereum or, or really whatever you want as collateral as well. Hmm. That's interesting. I actually would think it would be the opposite because, you know, Ether is down so much this year. So, you know, you would have to be, well, I guess, I mean, there are a lot of um, not so good tokens <laughs> that have uh, plummeted even more. So, um, so maybe actually it does make sense, but I just mm-hmm. think it would be trickier. It's like you have to sort of make more than one calculation in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you really do like financial derivatives are in, in margin trading are definitely financial products that do require a higher level of sophistication to trade. So you really have to understand exactly kind of what you're buying or what trade you're making before you make it. Um, but these, these types of trades are commonly employed by, by more sophisticated traders. And that's more of the target use case that, that we're going after. All right. So let's then describe the short token how and how it works. Yeah, absolutely. So in my example, basically, it described basically just an individual um, getting taking out a short position on Ether. The way that the short token works is very interesting. And it's actually fairly simple. All you have to do is basically, there's this concept where positions and loans can not just be owned by individuals like humans, they can also be owned by smart contracts. And this is really important because it allows you to unlock a lot of other functionality on top of the protocol. So the way the short token works is it it works exactly the same as in my first example, except now the owner of the position is not a human, um, but a smart contract. And this smart contract basically is an ERC-20 token. um, And the ERC-20 tokens basically just represent fractional ownership of the backing position. Um, So say I I take out a position in exactly the way I described in the first example, um, and I take out like, I'm now short, say 100 Ethereum. Um, So the the protocol will basically mint me 100 short Ethereum tokens. Now, if say, say you want to short 50 Ethereum, you don't actually have to do all the complicated stuff that I described in my initial example. All you have to do is buy 50 short tokens from me, um, and then you'll basically own half of the the short position because there are 100 short tokens and you own 50 and I own 50. 
And basically just the fact that the position is owned by an ERC-20 token allows you to do really interesting things like, like splitting up ownership of it. Um, and also due to the economics of it, the price to buy a short token will always be equal to the price to mint a new short token. Um, and minting a new short token is just done by kind of the process of opening a position that I described before. So it's really interesting because now only a really small number of actors need to actually do the complexity of opening and closing positions. And the vast majority of users can just live in this simple world where if they want to get short exposure, they can just buy the short token. Or if they want to, say, close their position or like exit, then they can just sell the short token to somebody else and somebody else can kind of deal with the complexities of opening the pos- or closing the position for them. And so with the short token, then there's not like a duration baked in, right? It's just like when I want to sell that, that's when I sell it. And it's at that moment that it determines whether or not I profit or loss. It's not like I'm betting, oh, I think the price will fall you know, to this price by this time. And if it does, then I, then it cashes out for me or, you know, and if it doesn't, then it goes out to the full duration and I lose money. How, how does that part work? So there is a maximum duration, both to positions and the short and leverage tokens, but you can also close your position before that maximum duration. Um, so say the maximum duration is like a month and you buy a short token. There are two ways you could profit on it. First is, say, 15 days through the month, you decide you've either made or lost enough money and you sell your short token. And you basically just make whatever profit that the short token made during that first 15 days. Um, or you could basically wait the entire duration of the short token. Um, and we have automated mechanisms in our protocol that will basically close the, the short token at the, the correct price without you having to take any action. Um, so you could simply, like the simplest way to get short exposure on the DYDX protocol will be to just buy a short token and then wait, say, the maximum duration of the short token and then let the automated mechanisms close the token for you. Um, and then you can just come back and withdraw kind of the payout that you would have gotten. And the payout that you would have gotten is, is basically just the profit that the short token made during the entire duration. Okay, we're going to keep discussing your other products. Uh, But first, I'd like to take a quick break for our fabulous sponsors. Interested in becoming a blockchain citizen, but unsure of how to get started? Come be a part of the decentralized revolution and head over to blockdaemon.com slash unchained to launch your own node on a public blockchain network or join a private network within minutes. Blockdaemon is the only multi-cloud platform that supports the leading blockchain protocols such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, Stellar, Quorum, Fabric, Aeon, and more. Our goal is to offer all blockchain projects a global decentralized network management tool connected to multiple infrastructure providers. Go to blockdaemon.com unchained and start a free 30-day trial today. This ad spot could be yours. Got a great product or service for unchained or unconfirmed listeners? Reach out to Raylene at laurashinpodcast at gmail.com to find out about sponsorship opportunities on unchained and unconfirmed. Again, that's laurashinpodcast at gmail.com. L-A-U-R-A-S-H-I-N podcast at gmail.com. I'm speaking with Antonio Giuliano of DYDX. So your other product right now, I think, is a leveraged long token. What is that and how does it work? So it works very similarly to how the short tokens work. Um, The only difference is that you kind of flip the token that you borrow and the token that you put up as collateral. So actually, the protocol doesn't really even know what is a short versus what is a leveraged long. All it knows are kind of what the tokens that you borrowed are and then what the token that you put up as collateral is. So let's kind of go through an example of how uh, getting leverage on DYDX would work. Um, So in our first example, we kind of borrowed Ethereum from the lender, and then we put up DAI as collateral. If you want to use DYDX to instead get leverage on Ethereum, you'd, in this case, borrow DAI from the lender, and you'd put up uh, Ethereum as collateral. 
Um, so you could basically, so if you borrow DAI from the lender, you're, you're basically increasing your buying power. So say you put up, you have like a hundred DAI with which you want to buy Ethereum. Um, you could just buy a hundred dollars, say worth of Ethereum with your hundred DAI. Um, or you could borrow, say another hundred dollars from a lender and then use your hundred DAI plus the hundred DAI that you borrowed from the lender to buy 200 DAI worth of Ethereum with your 100 DAI. Um, and the way that this works is, say you, in our example, you put up 100 DAI um, and then you borrow another 100 DAI. So now the protocol has 200 DAI locked up in the position. Then it sells that 200 DAI um, for Ethereum. Let's say in this case, the price of one Ether is 100 DAI. So it sells the, that 200 DAI for two Ethereum. Um, and then locks that two ether up in the position. Now that two ether basically just sits there for the duration of the position. Um, but you still owe the lender back an amount denominated in die, not in ether. So in this example, let's say the price of Ethereum goes up to 200 die, um, whereas it started out at 100 die. So now the two ether that are locked in the position are actually worth 400 die. And you still owe, say, ignoring interest, 100 DAI to the lender. Um, so you could close your position um, by basically buying back 100 DAI and giving that to the lender. Um, and then basically there's 300 DAI left, and you could basically take that as your profit. So in this example, you'd end up with 300 DAI, um, whereas you only put up a margin deposit of 100 DAI. So in this example, you'd make a profit of 200 DAI. Um, because basically you were leveraged uh, 2x on Ethereum. Whereas if you had only, say, bought 100 DAI worth of Ethereum with your 100 DAI, um, you say would have initially bought one Ether with that, um, and then Ether went up by 100 DAI, so you would have made 100 DAI on the trade. Whereas being leveraged 2x with UIDX, you would have made uh, 200 DAI on the trade. So, so kind of in our, our example works very similarly to how shorting on DYDX works, except you basically just flip the token that you're borrowing with the token that's held as collateral. Super interesting. One other thing I was wondering about is how do you guys determine the price of the assets? Because obviously all these exchanges have different prices. So the way that prices are determined on DYDX is that each trader um, can kind of select their own spot order that they want to use um, to open or close a position. Um, so, so say, in going back to our initial example of shorting Ether, um, I, I mentioned that the price um, for Ether in that example was 100 DAI for one Ether. So and basically, the, the reason that that price is what it is is because that's the best price that is offered by a 0x order um, to basically trade Ethereum for DAI on 0x. So basically, there are, the trader has an economic incentive to pick the best order for themselves because they wouldn't, there would also be orders on the book for, say, like trading Ether at like 90 DAI, but you want to open your short position at the highest price possible. So traders will always pick the order with the highest price for themselves. Um, so it, it's very similar to how just kind of limit orders work on exchanges and mm -hmm. traders always have economic incentives to basically pick the best order for themselves. Or similarly, say like 0x was offering a price of like 100 DAI was the best price you could find on 0x, but like uh, Kyber or, or Oasis or something else, like some other decentralized exchange like that were offering a better price, then you could kind of open your position with Oasis instead and basically get a better price for your trade. Hmm. That's interesting. So as far as I understand, for margin tokens, when you close your position, those tokens get burned. Why is that? So the margin tokens basically represent your ownership in the position. And when you use basically the reason that margin tokens have value is because they allow you to close a fraction of the backing position and receive the appropriate payout. But when you basically use your margin tokens to, to close part of the position and get the appropriate payout, um, you no longer own a fraction of that position. So you, we basically just have to burn the tokens. 
um, because the tokens always represent ownership in the backing position. And if you close your ownership in that backing position, um, then you should no longer have the margin tokens to represent that. Okay. Something that I was curious about is, you know, you were talking about how these orders will be filled on these different decentralized exchanges and how you can, um, you know, set the parameters with your lender and stuff like that. But how well do you think margin tokens will work with low liquidity tokens? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, And we do think that they will work a lot better with tokens that have more liquidity. And that's one of the main reasons why we're starting with uh, short and leveraged Ethereum. Um, because the, the Ethereum die market is by far the most liquid on decentralized exchanges. Um, so that's actually one of the main criteria we're considering when deciding when to offer different assets for, for short and leveraged tokens is how much liquidity there is in the underlying spot market. Um, so it's kind of that combined with how much lending liquidity that we think there is for, for each asset. Um, so if you want to short something, like, like we've been saying, you need to borrow it. So we actually need to go out and find lenders that are willing to lend all these different assets that, that people want to short. So kind of the, the two things that you need are the underlying spot liquidity and the underlying lending liquidity um, in order to, to trade a margin token on DYDX. Yeah, I, I imagine that's the case now, but I could sort of picture this going into some kind of long tail thing where really, really far in the future, you'll be able to um, do all kinds of different combinations, including of somewhat obscure tokens, if if this all, you know, works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So um, one other thing that I was curious about is, so is the person creating each Margon token, the trader, him or herself? Or do you imagine there are going to be companies that crop up to kind of like feature different kinds of smart contract based derivatives that you can buy? Or how, how will that part work? Yeah, so DYDX is a very general and unopinionated protocol. So anybody can use it to take out any position or margin token that they want to. Um, so you can use DYDX just to, to trade peer to peer if you want to. The first use case that we're really focusing on is the margin tokens. Um, and the kind of standard margin tokens, which are the ones that we're offering on Expo, are kind of the ones that are created by DYDX. But anybody else could come along and create uh, their own margin token on DYDX. And, and all that creating the margin tokens means is that you kind of specify the parameters for the position. So you specify the things like what are the tokens being traded? What's the interest fee being paid to the lenders? What's the maximum duration? Uh, other things like that. But DYDX is a very general protocol. So we do anticipate that other people will use DYDX to build all kinds of different applications on top of our margin trading protocol and other protocols that we offer in the future. Um, But we did think that it's important to offer the first and easiest way to trade DYDX margin tokens, um, which is what we're launching with Expo. And actually, just before we continue on, you mentioned Expo before, but I don't know what Expo is. Yeah, so Expo is our an end-user-facing application that we're building on top of the DYDX protocol. Um, and Expo will be the simplest way to buy and sell DYDX margin tokens. Um, this is actually like an interesting point and something that we're kind of doing differently than a lot of the other protocols that I've seen is that we are building a lot of these and user-facing applications and supporting services on top of our protocol. Um, So what we're doing is a lot more than just building smart contracts on Ethereum. Um, But Expo is basically just a a regular website similar to any other dApp that you might use. Um, And basically, it allows you to to go and see what the different short or leveraged tokens that are available to trade are um, and gives you a really easy interface to buy and sell them. And kind of how it works is it plugs into other decentralized exchanges on the back end to get the buy-sell liquidity that you need to uh, create to uh, buy or sell the, the short tokens. Wow, this is really, really interesting. I know I keep saying that. <laughs> I'll try to stop. Um, so earlier you mentioned that as you've been going along, you've realized that what's easier in a way to comprehend is the actual derivatives themselves. But what's more complicated is to understand how traders are trading them. So what what are the differences and what are you having to learn in that regard? Yeah, so 
just the way that margin trades or options work aren't really that complicated from a technical perspective. Like for margin trading, it's, it's basically what we just went through. Like you borrow something and then you sell it to somebody else and then you lock up collateral. Um, and for options, which we haven't really talked about, but they're fairly simple. Basically, you, you um, kind of lock up uh, collateral and give somebody else um, an option to basically buy that collateral at a certain price. So it's not too difficult to make them from a technical perspective. Um, really, the complicated thing is to understand how traders actually use them um, in trading and kind of what trading strategies they use um, with options or with margin trading. Um, this is something we've been doing a lot of is kind of reaching out to customers to understand how they want to use um, to start with margin trading and then in the future options or other types of derivatives um, on cryptocurrencies um, and kind of what strategies they want to employ with them. Um, like interesting things like margin trades are, are probably the simplest type of, of more advanced financial product um, in my mind. Um, but once you get to more sophisticated types of derivatives like options or, or swaps or similar, then you can kind of do a lot of really interesting but more sophisticated things. Like, for example, with an option, you can kind of lock in your price uh, for Ethereum or, or really limit your downside. Um, so say like Ethereum was at like $1,300 before and you were like, wow, this is great. I, I still think Ethereum will go up, but I want to protect myself um, if the price of Ethereum goes down. You could basically use a put option or which is basically an option to sell uh, Ethereum at a certain price to kind of lock in your price. So you could buy a put option with basically a strike price of, say, like $1,000 when Ethereum is at $1,300. Um, and then if Ethereum goes up, you don't have to exercise that option because the price of Ethereum would have been higher. But if the price of Ethereum, say, as it did, went down to like $200 or whatever it is now, um, then you could have used that put option to instead sell your Ethereum at $1,000. Um, so that's kind of one example of a really simple use case where kind of these more advanced financial products can be used to really protect downside um, and hedge against like extreme volatility. So we think that they're a really important part of the overall uh, trading market um, and something that we haven't really seen used very widely in cryptocurrency. Um, but traditionally, we see the derivatives markets being on the order of 10x, having more like 10x more volume than the underlying spot markets. Um, and in cryptocurrency, that isn't the case at all yet. Um, so we really think that derivatives are going to be really widely used in the future, um, especially given the underlying volatility of cryptocurrencies. Um, so that that's kind of why DYDX is something we're excited to build in the short term. Before we move on, do you want to just walk me through, you, you know, your version of an option briefly? Yeah, absolutely. So our current options protocol, and to be clear, this isn't something that we're launching right now, but something that we're planning to launch in the future. Um, but our current options protocol is for what's called a covered option. Um, and covered basically just means a fully collateralized option. So there are two different types of options, and I mentioned one of them before. There's a call option, which is an option to buy an asset at a certain price. So you could like buy a call option on Ethereum and it would have some strike price um, or a put option, which is an option to sell an asset at a certain price. Um, so the way our options protocol works is, is that um, there are these people called writers, which basically are the people that create um, and offer to sell options. Um, so if you want to, say, buy a call option, which is an option to buy Ethereum on Ethereum, um, then you'd go to a writer. Um, and when you buy an option, basically, you have to pay the writer a premium, which is kind of money that you pay the writer up front um, in order to basically uh, own the option. So let's kind of go through a concrete example. So say the price of Ethereum is at $200 right now. You could basically buy a call option on Ethereum at, say, a strike price of $300. Um, so if the price of Ethereum goes, goes down or kind of stays the same, then that option will expire worthless because why would you ever buy Ethereum for $300 when you could just buy it on the market price of $200? Um, but say the price of Ethereum goes up by a lot, say it goes up to like $1,000 or something like that, and now you still have this call option to buy Ethereum at $300. 
um, then you would have made $700 on that trade. So that's an example of kind of how options can be used to increase speculation. Going into the specifics of how our options protocol works, it's actually a good bit simpler than the margin trading protocol, um, especially for the covered options. And the way it works is that a writer will basically lock up Ethereum in a smart contract um, and will immediately get paid a premium. And kind of what the owner of the option gets is a brand new ERC-20 token, very similar to kind of how the margin token works, that basically represents um, the option. And what this ERC-20 token gives you is the right to exercise the option at a specified date um, or strike price in the future. Um, so if you, say, own a call option token on Ethereum and the strike price is $300, whoever owns this new option ERC-20 token will get the right to buy the Ethereum, which, remember, was locked up at, in, as collateral in the smart contract by the writer um, at, say, 300 die in the future. Um, so that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, and it, so it's basically just the writer's lockup collateral in a smart contract. The smart contract mints a new ERC-20 token, which represents the option. And whoever owns that option token can buy the collateral that's locked up in the smart contract for a specified price. That's really, it's so fascinating. Because I, I, I imagine that in existing finan financial services, Every, you know, everything that you just described takes a lot more kind of like paper and a lot more intermediary. So I just find it really um, mind-blowing, frankly, when I learn about how this can be done with technology. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask about was that in a previous interview with me, you said, quote, that you're working on things where you can take margin positions for other types of derivatives with not full collateralization. And then you said that you'll be putting all of that in a pool of collateral that will back, you know, many different positions. So I just was curious to know, how would that work if there's a market crash? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of just taking a step back, and I can describe a little bit what I was talking about there. Um, yeah. So our options and margin trading protocols are fully collateralized. And, but this isn't the way that most people trade derivatives in more advanced financial products in the future. They usually trade them with fractional backing. Um, and you can kind of see this by like the sum of like the total notional values of all the derivatives in the world is somewhere in the range of like a quadrillion dollars, which is clearly way more than all the money that exists in the world. And the reason for that is because all these people are trading derivatives and advanced financial products with fractional backing. Um, so that's kind of what we're trying to solve um, with kind of this future protocol that will enable us to kind of back options or margin trades with not full collateralization. Um, I want to caveat all of this with kind of saying that this is very, very much in the research phase. Um, and we think, strongly believe that kind of launching the fully collateralized margin trades and options um, are the, the most impactful thing we could do in the short term. Um, but we are thinking about ways that we can kind of solve this problem of not full collateralization in the future. And kind of what you were alluding to is one of the ways that we're thinking about solving that is kind of with a, a pool of capital. And basically, the pool of capital will kind of back a number of different derivatives and financial products um, together and will kind of diversify the risk across a number of positions. Um, so kind of thinking about like some easy things that you could do with this, like on DYDX um, with like options, uh, say you have like a put option and a call option for Ethereum. So that's kind of one's betting that the price will go up and one's betting that the price will go down. Um, with the version one options protocol, um, you'd have to put up full collateralization on both sides, but you don't really need it because it's kind of either the price will go up or the price will go down. So in that example, you can kind of back the position with half the amount of collateral. And that's kind of the general trend of how you can back like a number of different positions with less capital by kind of diversifying the risk across a number of positions. So that's kind of the general theme of the protocol that we're in the process of designing for the future. Um, and something that we're really excited about and we think solves a, a really massive need um, for these not fully collateralized derivatives. Um, but before you have not fully collateralized derivatives, or kind of a pool of collateral backing them, you need to literally make like a margin trade or an option. 
So that's what we're focused on in the short term is basically just making the easiest possible experience to do a margin trade or an option without trusting your tokens to anybody else. Yeah, I imagine also for that to work that you would need to mix in other asset classes besides crypto, like security tokens, because at least for the moment, crypto markets, the crypto market tends to move in sync. You know, like those days when you open CoinMarketCap and everything is red or everything is green. So that actually leads me to my next question. Like I know that Harbor, which does security tokens, that their R token standard is ERC-20 compatible. So does that mean that you could use a security token built with Harbor on DYDX? Yeah, absolutely. So you can use any ERC-20 token on DYDX. Um, so that opens up a lot of really interesting possibilities because once you start tokenizing real-world assets with Harbor or similar, um, you kind of can immediately tap into this whole ecosystem of decentralized financial applications, such as like you could trade it with 0x, you could like take loans out on, on it with Dharma, you could kind of take margin trades or options out on it with DYDX. Um, so it's really interesting once you kind of get all these open standards working together. Um, and that's something that we're just starting to see the power of that, I think. And I think DYDX is a really good example of different protocols working together um, because we are kind of built on top of different decentralized exchanges such as 0x. Um, and it's a pretty interesting example of how you can combine like lending with 0x to basically make margin trading. Um, so I think we'll see a lot of really interesting use cases pop up really quickly once a lot of these protocols are actually live and, and start working together like that. And just out of curiosity, I, obviously this is a different token standard, but do you think eventually ERC-721 tokens, which are crypto goods like CryptoKitties, will work on DYDX? It's possible. It makes a little bit less sense with kind of the way that we're doing margin trading or options to start with, because you kind of need an underlying spot price for the asset. Um, oh, right. But some some things that people are, are thinking of doing are basically kind of fractionalizing ownership of like an ERC-721. Like if it's like a really expensive crypto kitty or something like that, then you could mm -hmm. kind of have an ERC-20 token, which represents ownership of that backing ERC-721 token. And then you could kind of use that to kind of like say short a crypto kitty or something like that. But kind of the concept of just like shorting the one crypto kitty like doesn't make as much sense because there's not a spot price for it. Um, right. But those are the types of things that I think we'll be exploring more in the future. Huh. You have $2 million in seed investment from Andreessen Horowitz, Polychain Capital, Brian Armstrong, and others, but you don't have a token. So how does DYDX plan to make money? So there are a couple different ways we could capture value. Um, and kind of the, the biggest ways I think about it or the, the biggest question for us as a company is how we capture value. And we could either do it at the protocol level or more at the application level. And what I mean by that, so at the protocol level, we could actually do uh, like an actually useful token. And I do think that there are a number of tokens that actually do have value. So that's something that we might consider in the future. We don't think there's a strong need for a token in the margin trading or the options protocol. Um, and my thesis on tokens is that they're not something that you need to rush into. And it's worth thinking pretty deeply about, first of all, whether you even need a token. And then if you do, what the best way is to implement that token in your uh, protocol. So that's something where we really would just wanted to come out with a protocol that works without injecting a useless token into it, first of all. Um, and then kind of thinking about how we can add a token later. Um, and kind of the way we're thinking about tokens right now is um, we may introduce one with kind of some of the future protocols that we're building. And we kind of briefly touched on uh, the like collateral pool protocol, which kind of supports uh, not full collateralization. So that's kind of something that might have a strong need for a token based on kind of how we design the protocol. Um, the other way that people are thinking about capturing value at the protocol level is through just kind of straight up charging a fee through their smart contracts. I'm not as much a fan of this, but I could see like a world in which this kind of emerges as the standard for how protocols capture value. I think it kind of works in applications like CryptoKitties, for example, charges like a three point something percent fee whenever you trade a CryptoKitty. So I think it kind of works for games and things like that, but I don't really think it works as well for serious financial applications like derivatives or lending, um, because people really care about like kind of 
fees and like middlemen sitting in the middle. Um, but that could potentially be an option if um, that emerges as kind of the de facto way that protocols are capturing value. Um, so those are the ways we could potentially capture value at the protocol level. On the application level, we could capture value um, through actually just making money. Um, and as I was mentioning, this is something that we're doing differently than a lot of other protocols in that we're kind of building um, end user facing applications on top of our own protocol. Um, and a good example of that is Expo. So Expo won't be charging fees um, to start because what we're looking to do is just getting to get as many users of our protocol as possible. But if it does like uh, come out that most people are kind of using Expo to interact with the DYDX protocol, that could be a really good opportunity for us to, to kind of charge fees like you would see on a centralized exchange at that level. So kind of, those are kind of the, the three different ways we're thinking about capturing value. Um, we have a lot of really excellent backers who are really, really long-term aligned in the space. Um, and also raising equity has given us a lot of flexibility to basically just build out something that's actually useful in the short term um, and think about capturing value later. Um, but we are thinking about it a lot. Um, we're very much like a for-profit business, not just kind of like a just an open protocol or anything like that that doesn't make money. Um, so, so that's kind of how we're thinking about it for the long term. And who do you imagine your target users will be? Like, do you, do you see Wall Street using this technology? Eventually, uh, definitely not to start. Um, so to start with, we're thinking our target customers are smaller crypto hedge funds. Um, there are a ton of these crypto hedge funds these days, um, or more sophisticated individual traders. Um, so that's kind of who we're targeting with the launch of the margin trading protocol and expo. Um, once we start getting into more sophisticated types of derivatives like options or, or anything else that we might add, um, that's kind of when you need more institutional type traders or, or really sophisticated individuals to be able to trade those. Um, so I think we'll kind of move up the spectrum from like, I think about like customers as a spectrum from like full retail customers to like full institutions. I think we're starting somewhere in the middle, but we'll kind of shade more towards the institutional customers over time. A really interesting thing that having these tokenized positions offers you is that the, the positions like the, the short tokens, for example, are just regular cryptocurrencies. So they can be traded anywhere, even on centralized exchanges very much in the same way that Bitcoin is decentralized, but you can trade Bitcoin on a centralized exchange if you want to. So I imagine that this will be one of the main ways that users interact with our protocol, basically just buying the DYDX short or leveraged or in the future, maybe options tokens on an exchange um, without ever even having to interact with a decentralized application at all. Um, so that kind of allows us to, to cater to a much more kind of traditional audience there are like a number of centralized exchanges, as I mentioned at the start, that are offering margin trading and, and certain derivatives products, um, which those are kind of the like CBOE or example, for example, uh, will be kind of where likely most of the traditional financial people who are trading uh, Bitcoin will trade derivatives for the short term. But I think in the long term, there are like a ton of advantages to using an open protocol like DYDX to do margin trading or derivatives. Um, and, and kind of a number of those are that they're fully global, like you can trade with anybody anywhere in the world, which is kind of like something you see come up a lot um, for, for why you would use a decentralized application. It's more secure. There are kind of less middlemen sitting in the way. You can kind of share liquidity across a number of exchanges, which is actually a really important point um, because for all these exchanges that offer margin trading, um, you can only borrow from people that are on the same platform. Like, for example, if you're margin trading on Poloniex, you can only borrow from people who are on Poloniex. But with DYDX, like the protocol doesn't care where you get the lending liquidity from. So you can kind of share lending liquidity and spot liquidity across a number of different exchanges. And I think that we'll really see that pay off in the long term. Um, but that's kind of how we see the evolution of our customers, starting with people who are already trading and using decentralized apps right now um, and eventually getting to the more mainstream over time. When you mentioned that you can trade with anyone anywhere in the world, it just made me think. So obviously, you know, there's an advantage of that in terms of liquidity, but it just sounds like a regulatory nightmare. <laughs> um, and I just wonder, what are the regulatory issues? And is it simply incumbent on the trader themselves to make sure that they're complying with the laws of their jurisdiction? Or does that burden lie with DYDX? Or how does that work out? Yeah, so... It 
a lot of the time it will fall onto the centralized exchanges or relayers on which traders are trading. Like I think we see this a lot with different protocols. If they have any like centralized components, those are oftentimes the most highly regulated. Um, so I think if there's any regulatory burden, it will, will fall with those players. Um, we have been thinking about this a lot. We're working with one of the, the very best cryptocurrency law firms, Perkins Coie. We're actively engaging with the CFTC, which is the regulatory body that regulates derivatives um, and also other regulatory bodies um, to try to understand and educate them on how DYDX works um, and kind of what the regulations surrounding it are. Um, you're absolutely right that there's a lot of regulatory uncertainty, and, and this has been said over and over, but especially once you get into some of these more heavily regulated spaces, such as financial derivatives, like a lot of the laws were literally written for like physical commodities, like, I don't know, like you could sell like an option on corn or something like that. Um, and now the CFTC has classified like Bitcoin or Ethereum also as commodities and are trying to kind of apply the same regulations to it. Um, so we're definitely taking a very compliant approach to this. Um, this is something I think I, I really get from Coinbase and, and we really saw work well there in terms of we're being built like in the US, like we're not like incorporated overseas or anything like that. We're actively engaging with regulators. We're really trying to provide support as, as much as we can to other relayers and exchanges building on top of the protocol. Um, but it's definitely something that I think the regulation will have to evolve with the technology over time. Um, and, and that's kind of how we think about it. This has been an incredibly fascinating discussion, and I don't think I um, nearly failed as I was having flashbacks to last night. So thank you so much. Where can people learn more about you and DYDX? Yeah, so you can go to our website, uh, DYDX.exchange, or if you'd like to try our application, head over to expotrading.com. We are hiring for a number of engineering, design, and recruiter positions, um, so if you'd like to work with us, uh, check out our job postings on our website. Great. Well, thanks for coming on Unchained. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Antonio and DYDX, check out the show notes inside your podcast episode. New episodes of Unchained come out every Tuesday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And if you're not yet subscribed to my other podcast, Unconfirmed, I highly recommend you check it out and subscribe now. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylan Gallipoli, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, Rahul Singaretti, and Daniel Nuss. Thanks for listening.